The opening riffs to 1979 by Smashing Pumpkins. That's the year we'll be discussing. It's our birth year, so we figured we'd count down our favorite songs from 1979. Before we do that, though, it's two special guests joining the show. Jay Schlossberg, who is doing a movie about the history of WHFS. WHFS, something near and dear to our hearts. Myself, Todd, and Harrison, having grown up in the in the D.C. area. Jay is putting together a documentary. You can donate to that, uh, that project on Kickstarter, FeastYourEarsTheFilm.com. Also joining us, DC radio personality and DC radio legend, Surf. Thanks so much for being with us, guys. Jay, first of all, the inspiration for, for doing this, and uh, I mean, it's such a cool topic, uh, but, but, but talk a little bit about the inspiration for, for why you started this project and, and, and what got you uh, into, into doing this. It was truly uh, a magic moment. Um, while I've been in the film and television industry since the late 80s, um, and uh, providing local crew in 110 different countries for my clients when they don't want to fly crew around the world. Uh, about, about two and a half years ago or so, um, Joe's Record Paradise in Silver Spring, Maryland, a, a decades-old used record store, um, had record day, um, and uh, they decided to have a panel of HFS DJs. Joe Lee uh, was, is the owner of, uh, at that time. His son, uh, Johnson, now owns it. But he's head of a panel of HFS DJs. Um, and so that included Surf, of course, Damien, Weasel, um, Bob Heer, Schauacher, um, Josh Brooks, um, uh, and uh, Damien, uh, Weasel. So, so uh, I couldn't make it. Uh, I was in New York and couldn't make it. So the next week, somebody posted a photograph or several photographs of, of the event showing all the DJs, you know, uh, at the table. Uh, and I saw a little bit video, but as soon as I saw that photograph, I exclaimed out loud, "Oh my God! They're all not dead yet. Somebody <laughs> needs to do something about telling about telling this story." It was just boing, it was like flash, you know. And and I'd never done a feature documentary before. I, I produced other other stuff, some uh, a couple of co- of uh, uh, YouTube, you know, series on YouTube, and you know that sort of thing. But I hadn't done it like this, and it was just that was just it. It's like I have to do this. Um, so I started talking to some friends, you know, that knew uh, lots of the folks at HFS are sort of in that crowd. Had some conversations, and we met um, most of us about seven months later um, in a room in the Triangle Towers where HFS uh, had its heyday. Uh, what a, uh, one of the DJs still lives there. He got us a room in the building, and so. Almost everybody met that day in November of 2013. We put our heads together. Everybody said, yes, let's do this. And so that's really how it happened. It was just a magic moment. That's cool. And then speaking of magic moments, I'm assuming there were plenty, Surf, during the days of HFS. And for for someone who who didn't grow up in the D.C. area, maybe knows HFS a little bit, being a music fan, how do you kind of explain what HFS was and the magic for HFS? Just for our listeners who may have not grown up in the D.C. area, but understanding how important that was at the time in music, in that market, and, and for those bands that you guys were breaking. Well, it was, a, it was a really special time, and I think a lot of cities across the country, Boston, New York, Philly, uh, Los Angeles, a couple of other markets had stations like HFS, but I really think HFS, I mean, obviously my, my view is biased, but HFS I think was the best. I mean, we were, by today's standards, it's astonishing. We had so much freedom on air at HFS. Um, you know, with radio, you hope good stuff happens and people will tune in to hear it. 
And at WHFS, a lot of good stuff happened. I mean, listeners love the stuff we talk about. And obscure knowledge was, was kind of a currency. And to get it, you had to be part of the loop. You had to listen to, you know, the right radio station to learn about the right bands and, and the right record stores who were managed by, you know, the guardians who worked behind the counter. And at HFS, if you can imagine, we would walk in, I could walk into the radio station to do my show with an armful of albums under my arm, and that would be the show. And, you know, we were playing records. We were playing vinyl on turntables. And again, by today's standards, that's, that's absolutely, you know, uh, incredible because everything now is very, very controlled. It has been. Radio personalities, disc jockeys, announcers, whatever you want to call us, we haven't picked music on FM radio in probably 35 years. It's all done by focus group. It's done by consultants and the evil monkeys that run uh, FM radio these days. So for HFS, I mean, it was not only music, but there was a sense of community uh, and a connection to community. We did everything from crazy stuff like announcements of lost dogs to, to listeners who needed rides to <laughs> updates of locations where, you know, peace marches were. And, and it was much more politically engaged than any other commercial station in, in D.C. Or, uh, or Baltimore. It was, it was really a magic time. And, you know, you, I'm honored to, to have been on that short list of people who, who worked at HFS. It was great. Best job I ever, I've ever had. That's awesome. Well, yeah, if I could, if, oh, ahead, if I could step in just for a second. Sure. Uh, on that sense of community that, that Surf uh, spoke of, it is, it is, it is still working in 2015. And what I mean by that is that um, I actually ran an ad, two of them, on HFS. Jay and Eileen have six acres in Mount Airy and need a roommate. So call Jay and Eileen. And I have two friends. <laughs> I, have two, I have two friends from 1978 and 1980 who responded to those ads. They're still friends of mine. And uh, because of one of those relationships, and I don't think Surf knows this yet, we, we now have uh, Jorma Kakaunen from... Jefferson Airplane and Hot Tuna has agreed to be interviewed for the film. Wow. Oh, so, nice. Wow, so, that's great. So there you go. Here's that long arc from the, you know, uh, from the 70s. Here we are in 2015. And that sense of community has actually still affecting me. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, truth in adver- it's truth in advertising. Jay, you are such a hippie. <laughs> well, you know, no, but it's, uh, it's the brand. I mean, it's the brand. We grew up with this crazy brand affinity for HFS, myself and Todd and Harrison, and that doesn't exist in radio today. And that, you know, and, and it's because of what people like Surf helped build, obviously, back in the day. Surf, when you were talking about the story regarding radio not being programmed in the way that it was uh, for, for 30, 35 years ago, uh, Todd, Harrison, yeah. I, we're all, it, ironically, we're all 35 years old, so I'm completely jealous of you talk, telling the story about coming in with the uh, with an armful of albums because that's what I wanted to grow up doing. And in college, I'd come into my college radio show and I'd bring in a backpack of CDs at the time, and I'd play everything that I wanted, and then I got into radio, and I realized that wasn't the way it was. But obviously, it was that way at some point. So I just know that there's a lot of jealousy there, Surf, that you had the opportunity uh, well, to, sorry, to do that. Sorry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's too, it, you know it, that's 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 the way it was. But uh, Jay, I want to touch on something you had mentioned. You know, you were talking about some of the people that you've gotten to do the doc, and um, you know, it's amazing when you watch the trailer on the uh, on on your site and on the Kickstarter site, uh, feastyearsoffilm.com. You know, you've gotten people like Nils Lofgren involved. Talk about the reaction that you've gotten for people other than the DJs um, or from other people than the DJs that have uh, opted to be involved and, and interviewed for this film. 
Well, um, uh, almost nobody I've contacted has said flat out no, not interested. Uh, a couple have just because they just don't remember the station. Um, <laughs> and that's the only reason. They, they sort of remember it, and they knew the progressive stations of the era were the way they started their career. Um, but, but, you know, nobody just said flat out, no, I don't care about that or care about you. Mostly it's been incredibly positive. Um, and I do want to highlight uh, one, one line from one interviewee that kind of sums up the general feeling of these national musicians. And we'll be also interviewing lots of, you know, D.C.'s uh, musicians from that era that are still around. And it's a gentleman by the name of Jesse Colin Young. Um, and Jesse had a band called the Young Bloods that had a hit in 69, sir, 68 or 69, get together. Yeah, 69, 70. Something like that. And then Jesse yeah. went off on his own in 72 or so, had a, had a very good solo career, uh, great musician, singer, songwriter. Anyway, we had our interview with him, um, and uh, at the end of the interview, he summed it up this way, and I will quote him exactly. He said, Jay, WHFS was the best fucking radio station in America. <laughs> yeah, well, we we definitely felt that way way growing up. Oh, yeah. uh, surf on that, I, Todd Harrison. I'll, you guys jump in here. One more question, uh, Surf. I mean, that yeah. kind of reaction yeah. from an artist uh, as a, as a DJ. That, that's kind of why you do this, you know. And that does that still happen today? How do we recreate that given today's technology and today's distribution points and today's media? I mean, I don't know how you kind of how you recreate that 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 the curator played such a big role back in the day, right? It was that one to one relationship that you had with the artist. Um, they'd roll through your market, and 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 you would you know you would be the first to break them. I mean, how do you do you feel bad that that kind of thing doesn't happen today? Do you think it is happening, but in a different way? What's your take on all of that? Well, six years ago, I started an internet radio show on musicplanetradio.com. And six years ago, when you were talking about internet radio to people, you know, you kind of got flatliners. People, people didn't get it. Uh, now they do. Uh, we've got a ton of listeners now on Music Planet Radio. Because what's happened with the adult audience with, with FM, it's completely been, it, it's, it hasn't gone away, but it's changed dramatically. I mean, you guys have seen it. You guys have seen it just in the last five years. But having watched this thing, you know, go, go down over the last 35 or 40 years, I've seen dramatic changes. Radio gigs, hard to come by these days. And, you know, when I launched Music Planet Radio six, six years ago, it's kind of like the American dream. You win by building a better mousetrap. You win by creating a better product and doing a better job. I mean, that's how free enterprise operates. Uh, Dave Grohl knows all about that, you know, setting up his analog recording studio in his garage and doing the kinds of things that he does. So, you know, you have to literally think out of the box these days because you're right. I mean, connecting with, with people, with musicians who were coming up at the time, like who we had on at WHFS uh, in, in the mid-'70s and early-'80s, we were playing, you know, new bands that nobody really knew about, like Little Feet and Bonnie Raitt, and we were at HFS, one of the first four or five radio stations in America to play Bruce Springsteen, uh, Tom Waits, U2, and later bands like Nirvana and uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers came along. And th it made things very exciting, and, and that's kind of what I've always gravitated towards. And you, it's very hard to do that now because you've just got a handful of corporations in America, who I refer to as the evil monkeys, who run, 
you know, who control most of FM. So kind of what I'm doing and a lot of other people are doing on internet radio now in 2015 is kind of like what FM was doing in the early 1970s because FM initially was, there was more talk and, and classical music and no rock at all. So, you know, it's kind of, we are in the 21st century. I mean, things are, are change, changing again. And I think people are looking for music and entertainment in different places. And uh, obviously, internet radio, I love it, you know? I, yeah. and, and I mean to slam on this band, but I don't have to play Freebird anymore. Life is good. Yeah, I love your line. You, you had a line, an article that I read about that was great, that I immediately, I told my wife, I said, this is a great line about how um, people... How DJs had to go in, basically they had to go in and still play Freebird because they had, you know, uh, mortgages and car payments to make. And basically that's what they did for the last 20 years. I love that line. Todd Harrison, I know you got questions, but one more. But since we're on this topic, surf of breaking artists, can you please tell the story about Springsteen coming in to D.C. and doing a show for about 60 people? And I know you were instrumental in, in doing that and making that happen. Back in the day, yeah, Bruce. Bruce played a series of gigs down at a club at Dupont Circle called the Child Herald, and the Child Herald yeah. was a really, really cool place. It was owned by a guy named Bill Hurd, who had inherited the John Deere fortune. And Bill uh, was Bill was a musician, but he he really didn't play anymore. He drank way too much Galliano and wine, and he, but he liked to be surrounded by, he liked to be surrounded by musicians, and he loved us on WHFS. Uh, Bill, Bill was a crazy character. I mean, they, they literally don't make him like Bill Hurd anymore because that, that kind of dynamic in corporate America in the 21st century doesn't fly. But Bill really was a patron of the arts, and he loved music, and he did like a lot of blues and a lot of, uh, music that wasn't being booked, live bands that wasn't being booked, that weren't being booked in any other club. So he signed Springsteen to do three nights, and I think for the three nights it was, God, it was something like seven hundred bucks for the three nights. And <laughs> wow. they, they, they at the Child Herald had that contract on the wall behind the bar in a frame for many, many years. <laughs> but Springsteen, uh, we we had been playing Bruce um, on HFS initially out of the box. I mean, uh, a guy named Earl Rollison, who was the CBS record rep for us, brought by this album, Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey. New artist, nobody ever heard of him. I loved it. I loved Spirit in the Night, and I loved For You, and Mary Queen of Arkansas, and some of the, the stuff that Bruce was writing. Didn't sound like anybody else. I mean, people always made the comparison to Bob Dylan. Yeah, there was kind of a little of that going on, but Bruce sounds different. Bruce rocked a little more. So, Went down to the club, um, met him, and uh, just very simply, you know, okay, and I was blown away. And it was, there were not a lot of people there the first night. Again, this is a new unknown artist who was getting a little bit of airplay. Only station in town was HFS. And I asked him if he wanted to be on my show, and he said, yeah. So he, uh, he <laughs> and the band actually came by HFS. They played live in the studio. I mean, it was magic. I mean, this is, you know, we were all crowded in a, in a tiny little room, uh, you know, and this was at a time when you could still smoke cigarettes in, in the studio. I have photographs of me and Frank Zappa sitting in the studio, and Frank is chain-smoking, you know? And <laughs> that's it was, that's and, incredible. And I didn't I started smoking at the time. I wasn't smoking, so, and I'm dying because some of these musicians were smoking, like, sitting next to me. But you know what? It was Frank Zappa, 
and it was some of the band members and Bruce Springsteen's East Street Band, so I said, you, you know, you guys got to pass smoke away. I'll choke. That's okay. But, yeah, that was the time, man. Yeah. Hey, Surf, where Surf was the band in the little booth that uh, Murray used to be in with with Judy? Is that did they cram into there? Correct. Oh my God! Seriously, it was like a like a closet. It was about six by six. I mean, it was tiny. I mean, they were bumping into each other. It was it was Bruce, it was Clarence, it was Danny Federici, and it was Roy Bitt. So yeah, the four of those guys. Wow. I mean, it was insane. It was crazy. Yeah. But the, and the the thing is, I mean, HFS. This happened all the time. I mean, we would have we would have amazing guests and and people in there. And again, this is something that doesn't really happen. It certainly yeah. doesn't happen on FM. Yeah, no. This is also a radio. Lo- they they screwed up in a way because there's all this amazing tradition. And when you walk into the hallway of someone like a CBS, for example, who who owns who owned what became the death of HFS and the la- you know, you should see pictures. It would be amazing to see the pictures on the wall of you with Springsteen. I mean, that's where and they they lost that heritage. And it doesn't matter what station you're talking about, whether it's HFS or K Rock in LA or uh, any of the stations. They kind of lost that heritage because they they just you know, with all the consolidation, everything they just threw it away. And I think any I any music fan would love to walk into a hallway of a radio station or a broadcast building and see that kind of stuff, and they would understand the legitimacy of what you were doing, especially back in the day with HFS. And Jay, it's great that you're going to bring this to so many people through the documentary. And uh, coming off the Springsteen story, Todd, take it away, man. No, that's that's amazing. They, we they the guys know I'm the resident uh, Springsteen nut so uh, i love that story is incredible i wish i were around for that <laughs> but uh yeah i was just gonna ask about uh it's funny i work in bethesda I, I eat lunch at by triangle towers like at least once a week but how long did you guys broadcast from there before you moved and where did you move, go from there uh i was at whfs uh pretty much through in the decade of 19 of the 1970s uh-huh. So when I left HFS in late 78, early 79, they were still at Triangle Towers. Oh, really? So they eventually yeah. moved. And so they, they moved. And uh, so you know Bethesda. You're familiar with Bethesda. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, used yeah. To walk, we used to walk across the street, and we would bring artists into the psychedelic to get, to get coffee. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, brought, I brought Tom Waits into Tasty Diner down around the corner. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> and I and I, I will tell you, I, I, well, I will tell you to this day, I am I am absolutely sure that his experience at Tasty Diner has inspired a lot of his songs because we spent about an hour and a half in there. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> uh, if, if you if you guys will allow, let me give you some uh, some quick back history, um, just so you know, because definitely it. it doesn't really address it in the trailer, though. If you notice, the very beginning mentions 1961. Um, that's when HFS launched in November. It's November 10th or 11th, 1961, um, in a 20-by-20 room in the basement of the Woodmont Medical Building, which is now called the Bethesda Medical Building. Uh, and it was run about three or four hours a day, 90% classical, 10% jazz, and all powered by car batteries. Wow. <laughs> that's... Um, Yes, uh, oh, and that was, um, you know, props to uh, Bill Tynan and Bob Carpenter, the two uh, Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Labs guys in early 20s who bought some gear, built the rest of it out of junk, um, and 
got this thing running in 1961, um, and uh, they owned it for a couple of years, eventually sold it. It changed hands a few times um, until I think it's 67-ish uh, when uh, Bernie Margolis and his son Phil um, and Jim Bierbauer, and I believe uh, Alvin Jeweler, who was the general manager at the time, he may have had a piece of it, uh, bought it out in uh, 1967. But if you guys don't know, it's called WHFS because it was the first high fidelity stereo station in Washington, and that's where now. HFS. Yeah, I, ju I just uh, learned that in re before <laughs> in preparing for this. I never knew that. That's really cool. So, yeah. sir, um, sir, oh, sorry. Surf, uh, you had mentioned the end of your time at uh, HFS, and um, I guess the official Wikipedia story is that you were uh, let go after trying to put on a Grateful Dead radio hour too close to their concert, and it was seen as hype instead of promotion, which is just absolutely astonishing to me that something like that ever happened in radio. So I guess my question to you is, is there such a thing as ethics in radio, or was there ever? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and no. <laughs> no, no to all of the above. Yeah, that that story in, in Wikipedia is a little bit erroneous. I mean, it's it's like, you know, it's now a long, long time ago. But no, basically, I had uh, worked with Jake Einstein, who was running the radio station. Jake was Damien and David's dad, and he was sort of the general manager and head of sales. And Jake and I always had, there was always friction between Jake and I, because Jake had this interesting relationship with all of us, where he was not only our boss, but he was also a father figure to all of us. I mean, he was a really omnipresent kind of guy. And, I mean, trust me, I mean, I, I, I have fond memories about Jake. If it wasn't for Jake, I'd, I'd be a barista down at the corner. You know, I, <laughs> I, I really do owe Jake a lot. But Jake and I just always had a problem. And I think Jake just tired of me. He just got tired of me uh, being around. And, I mean, he, he one day on a Thursday got all dressed up in his best suit with cufflinks and called me into his office and demanded my men's room key, you know. So <laughs> that, was, that was that. Gun in your badge. Yeah, yeah exactly. I want, to, I want to give special props to Jake, too, because um, no one's really sure the date he started there's a great story that will hopefully tell a movie about how he got hired in sales. But it was really, it was really Jake, uh, as he became, you know, more into management, um, that influenced the first Freeform Progressive show, Electric Brew, with Blair Newman and Frank Richards. It ran for nobody's really sure, six, eight months, whatever, maybe a year. Um, they were uh, fired, and then uh, Fred Serkey came along. Uh, and replaced them with his with his show called Through the Looking Glass, um, and um, you know it was kind of hobbling along, and they were getting a little bit of an audience. Um, and then it was in August of '69 or July '69 when these three hippies came down from New York, Josh Brooks, Sarah Vass, and Mark Orbelew, with this idea for a new kind of radio show. And they went to all these stations on the East Coast. Nobody would hire them, uh, and so Jake knew Jake had the wisdom to know this was this was the way to go. And uh, he brought the three of them on, but they had to buy the time from him. Um, and uh, so they launched Spiritus Cheese, uh, which was an old, they named after an old defunct cheese shop uh, in New York where they lived when they were in college. Um, and then uh, so was, we're thinking 3rd or 4th week of July, essentially right around the time man landed on the moon. And three weeks before Woodstock, these three kids did what they did, um, and it just, 
it was just the right time and the right place and the right moment, and things really began to change. And it was Jake who could see what was going on um, and had the wisdom and the drive uh, and the notion to really take this in the direction that he did, that he allowed it to go in. And I think they, that the, the majority owners at that time let him do what he needed to do, and he did an amazing job. Uh, he, he, as Adele says in the trailer, he was the face of HFS. Um, in fact, I'll go as far as, as uh, um, admitting that when I started this project, I thought Jake was the owner, and so did lots of people, because he was, had this amazingly uh, powerful personality, um, and um, you know, the, there's, he just brought so much to it that, that so many of us thought he was the guy. And he really was in terms of opening up and letting this music play, letting this new thing get on the radio and play this new music. Um, and it was the right decision. It was a brilliant decision. Um, and I want to make sure he gets credit for that. Uh, yeah, my last comment was just to say that, Surf, I think that the, with the seeds you planted at HFS and the work you did at DC 101 uh, and everywhere else, like uh, this show is in no small part thanks to the uh, the uh, musical uh enthusiasm you put instilled in all of us growing up as teenagers so uh thank you for that oh thanks and, and again i'm i'm sorry if you're being part of your misspent use but i, I won't apologize <laughs> yeah. no 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 hey i'm, no, I'm we, glad you, you listened i mean i'm i'm honored that that, uh, that you guys listened i mean that uh you know if, if you going back and talking and, and listening to jay talk about jake and 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 the early times at whfs i mean jake was in fact the face of, of HFS is, you know, Jake really put everything together. I mean, it sounds wacky. It's not easy to explain because it's so different than corporate radio now. I mean, Jake was, Jake was the money man. He was the guy that not only was the face of WHFS, but he was the guy that would go to businesses that would want to advertise. And he was in charge of bringing back the money. And Jake was old school. I mean, he was like Chuck Berry. He would always get paid before the gig. He demanded that (laughs) certain, always, yeah, that's great. And and he would demand (laughs) that, like for instance, live performances, like concerts and clubs, they had to pay for the commercials before the commercials aired, cash in advance. That does not, yeah, that's uh, that's not so true uh, anymore. Radio doesn't have the same kind of power anymore. So. Uh, yeah, that's, no, no. yeah. Well, if if Todd and Harrison aren't going to go, I I could talk about this subject all day, as they know. <laughs> I won't, I won't. But I do, you know. I, I you know, my question, Surf and, and Jay, you can chime in here. Obviously, you have a huge passion for for radio and what radio was. But we talked about the lack of heritage with radio today and how basically radio just erased that. So if you're a, a, a music fan who's under twenty, you have no idea about the story that you talked about with Bruce Springsteen. However, if you're a music fan under twenty, you're certainly interested in something like that and that's a shame that radio has lost that heritage but also radio fucked up too by not uh helping young by not building up younger personalities right surf i mean they just kind of stopped in a way would you agree with that i would but you've got to understand as you do that the the business of radio about 20 years ago turned into having it went from something having to do with aesthetics and, and art and music into pure commerce I mean, it was nothing about right. anything other than ratings and revenue. And that's why you say, well, the listeners should be able to walk into a radio station and see photographs and have documents of you know, great stuff that happened at stations like HFS and K-Rock and KROQ in Los Angeles. Well, 
again, this was at a time when everything changed and it became pure commerce. When we started, all of us at WHFS, and Jay is capturing this in, in, in the film. In Feast Your Ears, he's going to capture a lot of us, a lot of this. I mean, we were like some of the characters in the films, High Fidelity and Almost Famous. I mean, we felt <laughs> that commercial corporate rock sucked, and what was important was, the, was sort of the, the sacred tradition of musical knowledge passed on from, you know, one cool person to another cool person because we had a loud soapbox on WHFS. It often started with us. And the essence of the music that, that I loved was, was all about having fun. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. And we, you know, again, this is, this is what we were doing. It was a very, very exciting scene. So, uh, yeah, yeah how, how ahead, I, let, me, let, me address, let me address that real quick. Yeah. Or quickly. Go ahead. Um, and that would be, I can sum up really how, I'm, how I explain it when somebody asks me that same question, is that, is that radio today, and even television really, it's, it's, it's become three things, pasteurized, homogenized, and corporatized. Yeah. Uh, with, with, with rare exception. Um, public radio would be one. Weasel, one of the uh, original DJs, does have his own show on WTMD in Towson, Maryland. I think it's WTMD.org. Yeah. Yeah. For three hours mm-hmm. a day, uh, once a week, he gets to play whatever he wants. Uh, and I believe I missed the show where he played ten songs about cheese. Hmm. (laughs) i'm sure it was hilarious um and uh, so he has that freedom because it's public radio but he's only on three hours friday night they rerun it saturday morning and that's it and so that's a very rare commodity uh that he's able to do that you just can't do that anymore well so that's yeah with internet radio that's seems to be the way to go. Right, but we have to figure out a way to repackage something like that. That's the lost art, right? The art of being able to DJ and using the example that you're talking about, but it's so important. But yeah, someone waiting for someone to tune in at a certain time is crazy, and I'm with you on TMD doing good things, but but the the brands that have been built through non-commercial radio are great, like KCRW and KEXP and some others, but it's really such a small batch of stations that are still still able to do that today, and it's uh, it's, Well, I I, I can tell you something positive yeah. uh, about that and maybe 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 you guys are going to be part of that in some fashion we interviewed mike marone oh yeah uh, mike runs yeah, 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 yeah. lives in the dc area he yeah. he runs the law um he's the he's the main guy there uh which is by the way the closest no sir i disagree it's one of the, cl- the closest or very closest to, to the programming of hfs where it's completely free form no one at xm di- dictates any music played on the loft ever which is very refreshing, but you lose that sense of community because it's a national station. But what he said was, um, and I don't know if it's going to make the film, but basically he was saying is that he feels like that things are going to change and that kind of station is going to come back in the next, you know, three, five, seven years that he sees a resurgence of that kind of free-form progressive music on radio. Uh, well, um, and- I don't know if it'll be on radio, I think on potentially online, whether that's in the form of internet radio, like with what Surf's doing, or in the form of podcasts. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. But radio is a tough sell, man. You know, listening to a linear stream, you know, getting a person who's under 25 to kind of hang around and and listen to something that they can't skip is a tough, it's a tough sell. Well, that's a very tough sell. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I think that the millennial audience, which is a little bit younger than you guys, um, they're really key to this, and I th- and we we've seen some of them at some of our HFS events. You know, we've done yeah. some DJ sorts of things, and we're seeing people that are 
in their 20s. Um, that maybe their parents listen to the station or maybe they've heard about the movie another way, but there's a very strong interest with younger people uh, interested in what that was and what that meant and having it for themselves. So yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, so we've lost the we've lost the art of curation. Def, well, that's forms. the piece that's missing in all of the yeah, in all of this. We don't even get right. TV guides anymore. Well, no, it's know? fun. And, but you know what? It's a, there's. A, I mean, you can get really deep, as we all have a little hippie in us. It seems you can get really deep on this, and and the real reason <laughs> is because there's no there's no anticipation of anything anymore, right? Everything in your life now is pre-programmed because we have all this information at our fingertips, and and that's really where it comes down to it. So how do you get that same how do you get that same sense that we had growing up of waiting for what's next on the radio because even when you listen to that spotify playlist or you know or the ability to skip through a pandora or you you know whatever it is you see what's coming up ahead right and that's the piece right. that's missing and that was what people like surf who who were great djs were able to do build that anticipation play that first note of that next song and bam you were hooked right and then you were waiting and then you, the art of it was you played something that got somebody hooked and then they built that trust with the host right like a surf and they hung yeah. around right surf that was the well, that, that, that was how it worked yeah I, I, yes exactly but my brother you've got to understand you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube Agreed. i don't think Agreed. we'll ever yeah. we'll never we'll never see what we did and what has been done on, on fm i don't think i mean yeah. uh and jay i, I think mike w is is incredibly optimistic if he thinks it's yeah. going to come back <laughs> And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be Dr. Doom here, but I don't think, it's just, it's just the way things have changed so dramatically. I mean, I've watched in, in my years, I just left FM two years ago. So I was, I, I was on in part of the corporate mentality of the way FM radio runs. And be it good or be it bad, it's just the way it is. It's the way commerce operates in, in the 21st century. So much research so much, uh, um, you know, is done on songs with a classic rock station. A classic rock station in a major market really only has a playlist of about 160 songs. It's not like, and, and that's ponderous when you think about, you know, what's available. And they play basically the 160 songs in, in rotation over and over again. And they do very well on the ratings. So I, I think that in order to reach a younger audience that is, uh, attention span is much shorter than what we had 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. What you've got to do is you've got to do what we're doing now, uh, what some of what Sirius XM is doing and certainly what, what we're doing on Internet radio now because that's, I believe that's the future. I, I really do. And, I, and, it, and it really has the same mojo as what we were doing on, on FM in the, in the early 70s. It's sort of the Wild West. It's wide open yeah. and... And we can do all these things. I just wish we could, you know, have have the uh, on-demand factor. And and who knows? Maybe that will we'll change. But just the yeah. logistics of. If I can address one more, if I yeah. can address one more thing there, then uh, we can go on. Uh, you were saying, you know, where Spotify and and others were are putting these lists together, these uh, song lists together for you. It's because they're playing this song because you like that song, and they're playing that song because you like that song. It's missing that human element. Totally. Of, yeah. I think I'll I think I'll play ten songs about cheese, or I think I'll I love this song, and these three songs are in the same key, um, or or yeah. you know that sort of human element, or or they'll just completely mix it up to go from Zappa to Mahler to Simon and Garfunkel, or there'll be some sort of a, there's always some usually there's a theme, but there's always there's always the times of where the theme is just crazy. There's no theme; it's just 
these these songs just I moved to play this one because I just loving that song and I'm gonna drop some fire sign theater in there and it's yeah. in the moment creativity that no computer program, at least at this point in our lives, could possibly replicate. No, they can't. Well, the other issue is the trusted source where it comes from. That's what all these playlist services are missing, right? So if I'm a trusted yeah. listener of surf, surf, I use that. So I'm a huge music nerd. So I go to, I'll literally take KCRW's playlist, KEXP's playlist. I dump it into Spotify. I listen to that. And I do that because I trust the guys who work at those places because I they're yep. they're trusted curators for me and I have this brand affinity for those two stations. Um, the average person though isn't going to do that. So even as big of a music fan as I am with Spotify and using Spotify, um, when we're throwing Spotify out there, but you can you know put any playlist service out there. I, there's something missing. Right. There's that connection that I had with people like Surf or Bob Wah or whoever it was while growing up and the people we listened to on HFS and or Buddy Rise. Or DC 101 or you know people who we listened to who we trusted we didn't know because we were teenagers at the time but they were trusted sources for music and and that just that's the problem now and that, I mean we can get again you can go deeper on that and you can get into that that's the issue with media across the board you can even draw it into the the, the you know the, the how ESPN shuttered Grantland yesterday and all that but anyway that's that's the problem is that you don't have a trusted source for music and of course also you're not walking into a record store that was another place where you'd find that trusted exactly source. so and that's the that's the challenge is trying to get that back right yeah you know and each of the DJs brought their own mojo Right, because uh, I Surf has said Damien taught him so much about the blues. He was so big into blues and Cajun music and that sort of thing. Um, you know, you might have uh, Bob here, uh, Bob here Schauerker, who was a huge deadhead, who maybe a little more kind of country influence was going on, and you know, uh, and other DJs maybe like jazz a little bit more. And so you were getting this whole confluence of different, different uh, views of music and appreciation of music, and so that would evolve all through the day um and so it was always a surprise yeah no definitely yeah and that's and that's the thing and also you you know we we realize that people don't listen in in huge blocks of time like they did mm -hmm. uh, to us on whfs people would listen for a whole you know whole show they wouldn't listen for you know 10 15 minutes my god they listen for hours at a time yeah because Life was very different, you know. It's just the, the the beat of of our lives. It was a it was a time when we had, maybe we did. I don't know. Maybe it was just because we were all all so much younger and we could do. You know, it, no, it, it I, wasn't the press, pressures. I think it was loyalty. I think it was loyalty. I think people still do listen to the stations that I mentioned, the KCRWs, KXPs, XPNs. I think you'll find that people listen to full shows on the FUV is another one. People listen to full shows on those stations because they're taking the time. Any and, and even the NPR non music content people are listening to full shows because there's so much production that goes into it and so much Those, brand affinity. you're, you're absolutely you're yeah. absolutely right yeah. those stations are the exception to the rule though because they yeah. are the best of the best yeah 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 uh i sir if i had one more question for you i, I gotta ask this like so you go th you've been in radio for a long long time many decades and seen the thing from the top all the way to the bottom what was the moment for you, which probably happened, I mean, I don't know when it happened, but, you, you know, you just got out of, you, you've had a commercial radio gig all the way up until a couple of years ago, but there had to be a moment where you're like, and there were maybe a few of them, 
but a choice moment where you're like, fuck this. This is dying. This is not the way it was. This is like, this shit is fucked up. Like, what, what, when was it? Because I know, look, I, I've worked sir, in radio. Sir, if, you haven't caught, if you haven't caught on yet, Scott has a lot of feelings about the state of radio. No, right no, now. But I, I just, but I want to know every rate, every broadcaster has that. Like, but you must have, the time that you've spent in this, you must have, does it go all, because if you tell me it happened in the 70s, then I can say, oh, why'd I even get in this business? Uh, but, you know, when was it like this shit is fucked up this is over this is not the way it was and maybe there are several different points but just curious well it, yeah i never i never walked away from it because obviously because i'm still doing it and i'm you know as I've, I've told jay this on film i'm a one-trick pony this is all i know you know i don't know any other business i don't know any other craft um and so i i started doing this when i was very young and i got lucky and i went from one station to another but when i left hfs uh, and I went to WAVA. Uh, that was the first time where I was on a radio station that I was having the music picked for me. I would walk in and, you know, the, the music playlist was there. So that was a decision that I had to make that, well, okay, HFS is the anomaly and everything else out there, literally every other radio station is, is programmed. And this was in 79, 80. So, Every station subsequently, I mean, going from Wave to DC 101, from DC 101 to WJFK, um, all, all of these stations, it, it, the music was programmed. So it was a decision and something that you mentioned earlier in the conversation today about, well, these truckies have mortgages and car payments. So you have to decide, do I want to do this? Can I go to sleep at night and realize that I can't, you know, I've got to do a show tomorrow, but it's not really my show. I'm hosting it. So I've never really been disenchanted with radio. I love radio. I mean, I think it's an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. It's an interesting phenomenon. And for me, it's uh, I've forged lifetime friendships with people and, and met people and made, met great musicians from, you know, from from George Harrison to Bruce Springsteen to Frank Zappa to you know on and to Bonnie Raitt to on and on and on, uh, just wonderful people that I never would have, you know, that I'd be sitting, you know, 35 rows back at a show. That'd be the closest I'd ever get to them. But I've, I've met these people and I've got to know some of them and I feel very, very grateful for that. And, you know, it's been a long, fun ride and, uh, you know, shit, man, I'm still doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much, guys. And Jay, at the very least, creating the doc and, and having the opportunity to have this conversation has been unbelievable. So I think it uh, it puts a, a lot of validity into what you're doing because, you know, obviously what radio was meant a lot to a lot of people and whether that's specifically HFS or whether it's the station that they grew up with, whether it's KROQ or in LA or others, I think a lot of people can relate to this and, and it's a really cool story that you're telling and especially anybody in the DC area can relate to, to WHFS uh, and surf, you know, you, you obviously spent a lot of time on air in DC and meant a lot to a lot of people. So we appreciate it. Uh, Kickstarter campaign going on now and you can donate through November 8th to that. That's uh, and you can find all the info on that at feastyourearsthefilm.com. Surf, you've got your internet station up and going. That's at musicplanetradio.com. Jay, anything else you want to add for people uh, who are interested in getting involved and in donating to the Kickstarter campaign for the documentary? Why, why yes, I do, All as right. a matter of fact. <laughs> <clears throat> um, we just passed, uh, passed $50,000 this morning. Congratulations. Um, and our goal, our, our goal is sixty. Um, and I've heard there's going to be a large donation this afternoon, but uh, wow. we, uh, you know, we, we need to go. We need to go barreling past 60 because 
there's going to be, you know, once we get into the ad, the final edit, we're dropping the music in, there's going to be, you know, music rights and clearances, and um, uh, at this point, there's no way to know what that's going to cost us. So uh, we really need everyone who contributes, whether it's, you know, the minimum $15, or they go big time and become an angel and, and have a lot of zeros in it. Um, that's really great. But the uh, one thing we really need everyone to do, giving or not giving, is to share this on social media, uh, with, you know, or via email with friends and family. Um, you know, send it out by carrier pigeon, whatever they can do. That is the secret sauce of success to a Kickstarter campaign: is sharing. That's what's driven this whole campaign. Um, and at this point, our average donor is giving this is an amazing number, roughly about two hundred and thirty dollars per person as an average. Wow. Um, and all the Kickstarter campaigns that I was, you know, I was watching lots of them to figure out how do you do this. Um, average is about $110, $115. So um, the fans are, are, that are supporting me um, and all the DJs and this whole movie are incredibly passionate about it, and they're really giving. It's blowing my mind, actually. Um, and uh, so that, that's what's so important. And then one last thing I'll drop in is that this Wednesday morning, between 9 and 10 a.m. on WUSA, Great Day Washington, uh, both myself and Weasel are going to be interviewed. Um, and that will be followed by a performance uh, by John Carroll, who was one of the founding members of the Starland Vocal Band with their big hit Afternoon Delight back in the 70s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And John's going to play a song. Uh, so, uh, you know, set your DVR, people. Um, we're real excited about that. But... Um, we need everybody as soon as they can to get behind us and get past that number because uh, that will really continue to drive things. Once everybody knows we're, we're, we're past that goal, they're going to want to give and be part of a winner. Yeah, cool, definitely. And people can get more information at FeastYourEarsTheFilm.com and, and donate there through Kickstarter and get involved and get excited about this documentary that you're working on. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Thank Thanks you. a bunch. Great to hear from those guys and discuss our HFS memories, their HFS memories, and now it's time to get to the countdown, as we always do here on Twisted Lister, counting down our favorite tracks of 1979. I sound like Casey Kasem today for some reason. And I'm hey, that's, do, I, okay. do I sound like just today? I feel just like today? today. No, but I feel like that was a very – was that more Shadow or Casey, do you think, that interview, that, that, that you, intro? You got I felt, stars in your eyes. I felt like that was a little bit of like – and today we're counting down the top tracks <laughs> of 1979. All right, Stay well, tuned I can't, for the long I can't wait for Todd's long-distance dedication. Harrison, get us started with oh, your yeah. favorite songs from our birth year, 1979. Well, this – I mean, yeah, I mean, I didn't – when I started looking at this, I didn't realize because if you look at like the top, like the the Billboard hits in 1979, it's a totally different list than the best songs of 1979. Oh, it's a great, great point. It is like, a, I, I, it is a huge transition year in music. I think you know when we you know, disco's finally dying and we're getting back to rock and roll and punks. Yeah, well, uh, I'm sorry. Punk's a little dead, uh, you know, but post-punk is well, coming alive. 79 was Disco Demolition Night in, in Chicago, and I didn't realize yeah. that took place and in 79. So, yeah, you're right on with that. And also, I thought this might be a year that's like you could almost do the list of best album. Like, I want to do best albums instead of best songs because there's some phenomenal al- – you know, I'm an album guy uh, over – As am I. Uh, so, but, you like, uh, best albums that didn't necessarily – I couldn't necessarily pull a best song from. We had, like, Pink Floyd's The Wall – Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures, um, Fear of Music by the Talking Heads. I mean, uh, the Specials' first album came out that year. There's just so many good albums 
um, that, that are top to bottom good. Uh, Damn the Torpedoes, I think we're going to talk about later, too. Um, but as far as songs, my list, uh, I just picked, I picked songs that are still, I think are still great to this day and hold up, um, and are personal favorites of mine. Uh, I'm going to start with number five on my list and I, I'm probably going to get shit for this, but I have Fool in the Rain by uh, Led Zeppelin on there. Why would you um, get shit for that? I'm not going to I, 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 I think that's, that I think they never talk about Zeppelin on this show. Yeah, but that's but, a, that's a great song. I was so happy to see it on your list. I mean, that's a yeah. great, great song. No, that, no, it is a great song. It was, yeah. it was like very close to my list. It didn't quite make it, but no, it's a great one. And it's only because there's so much good competition. And the thing is my dad, my dad was not a Led Zeppelin fan. There were no Led Zeppelin albums in the house, but he did love this song. And I think, and, and the funny thing is my dad didn't like Led Zeppelin because he thought they were, and they were derivative, right? They just did, you know, they did American blues. But, um... Oh, I think that's dismissing them a little bit. Yeah, it is dismissing them. Well, that's like saying the Rolling Stones just did blues. Take it up, know, take it up with right, the Right, or the Grateful Dead just did Americana, right? I mean, that's... Take, yeah. take it up with the legend, yeah. man. This is, I'm, tell, I'm giving you his well, spiel here. Anyway, he loved, he loved Fool of the Rain. I think he loved Fool of the Rain because it sounds a lot like a Van Morrison song. Mm. So that, that's my uh, that's my take on it. But I, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. But I love that song. That. I, I love that song. Um, so number four on my list, I have uh, Disorder by Joy Division. Uh, I think the album is, you know, I'm putting this in as a placeholder for the whole album, but that's um, really the start of that uh, genre of music and uh, everything that's grown out of it. I mean, I think Joy Division is a huge influence on a lot of the bands all the way up through churches that we see today. Like, True. Yeah. Um, so this, I mean, that was kind of yeah. this, that whole album um, set the groundwork for what came later. Uh, number three on my list, I'm going with My Sharona by The Knack, which was the number one song of 1979 and deservedly so. <laughs> it holds up to this day. If you hear that song in a movie, you know something wacky is about to happen. You know, it's great. Well, of course, reality bites. I was me, about you know. to say, uh, yeah. the, irony, the irony yeah. that we talk about that the, the song came out the year we were born and then it was, it made a. Uh, it it made an appearance in a song which is one or I'm sorry in a in a movie which is one of the movies that is definitive of our uh, high school yeah, and college we were years. Fifteen years old, yeah, when it and, came out. And, and def- you know, so yeah, makes sense. <laughs> but and my Sharona, yeah, my Sharona. It, I had a lot of uh, like back and forth on this list, and my Sharona didn't make my final list, but I kind of wanted to put. I'm glad you put it on there because like it was, you know, it was such a big song as you said. I think number one on Billboard for that year. Um, it's just there was other stuff that I felt like uh, stood the test of time better, but it's still a good song. The lyrics are kind of creepy if you listen to the lyrics. It's a little oh, yeah. weird. And then, of course, we can't forget the Weird Al parody that was done for this. Do you guys well, remember? My Bologna. My Bologna, oh, yeah. My yeah, of course, yeah. So anyway, so Scott, can you cue uh, up the next one on my list there? If you oh find yeah, it. Well, so tell yeah, go ahead and start talking about this about this. So track. this is Ether by yeah. Gang of Four. This is off of Gang of Four's first album. Who are like you know the, the post punk music. This is um, the, you know the precursor to all the good stuff that came later. And this is my stand in for like Gang of Four. Um, and I you know I know because there's going to be on other lists. I didn't put the Clash on mine, but this is my stand in for the Clash for um, the specials. All those good uh, British acts that were coming out at that time. But uh, this song, Ether, once you hear it, you realize you've heard it a lot. And this is, you know, probably where you could say um, grunge was really starting was with this kind of sound. You have it there? I got it, man. You know, it's, it. yeah, I mean, whenever whenever I think Ether, I think of the Nas song, so. I know, that's what I think of. <laughs> Yeah, I 
think with Gang of Four of those like really jagged angular type of like guitar sound. Yeah. Uh, which is was you know was as you said it kind of came out of punk, uh, but yeah. you know they they did it better than most. Yeah, and this leads into the. I mean, you can hear where the you know, the Melvins got their sound out of this, and then that goes into yeah, Mud Honey River and Mud Honey and all. Yeah, you could, that's totally like yeah, it sounds just like a Mud Honey song. So, I think that that laid the, a lot of groundwork, and I think it's a very important like a very important song from that year. Um, anyway, and number one on my list, I have uh, Refugee, Tom Betty and the Heartbreakers from Damn the Torpedoes, which I think has to stand out as one of the, the timeless songs of, um, of any era, but it's so good. Well, timeless is a great way to put that, the yeah. Tom Petty stuff, because, you know, as we were putting together these lists, and we could do a whole show probably just dedicated to that, that album. There's so many great tracks on it. But as oh, I was yeah, trying, as I was thinking about it uh, and, and going through the classic albums and songs of this year, you talk about stuff that just stands up this test of time and that's what this the tom petty stuff and not just damn the torpedoes i mean there's a lot of other examples but we're specifically talking about damn the torpedoes but yeah it just stands up to today i mean in, in a way that's uh, for multiple tracks on an album to stand up the way that it does is pretty remarkable i think yeah and i was the funny thing is I, refugee is a great song but I, the one that i had in contention was even the losers i love that. oh that's oh, I mean, always love that and yeah. i was trying to decide um, between refugee and don't do me like that I, I was oh say, and mine yeah, is and i'm gonna give away mine is here comes my girl so i mean it's crazy oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. uh so that's no man tom petty he's a you know there's there's those artists out there that are like the 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 mega artists that when somebody's like i don't there's very few artists there's like probably a list of 10 or 15 where when somebody says they don't like them it's like offensive right it's offensive yeah. and when somebody says because you're like are you human do you have a heartbeat and if somebody says to you i don't like tom petty you're like, all right, I'm done. I'm walking. I mean, well, this my is... problem was my problem right? up is like yeah. I got to Tom Petty late because Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were my mom's favorite act. So of course they were not cool. Yeah, that, really? no, I didn't I know have, that they were your yeah, mom's favorite. My mom's favorite. Yeah, I had that mom, issue. I remember how excited my mom was when she went to a Tom Petty concert with my dad, and he came back like a little jealous. It was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, Tom Petty's an ugly man. Uh, yeah. yeah, but well, you know, the, Tom Petty's the perfect example of a man who, I mean, it, without the guitar and being a rock star, who knows where he would have ended up. But I'm sure that, that oh, yeah. helped him a great deal. But that was offensive. It's funny what you said yeah. about Tom Petty and like uh, you know someone on that list of artists that yeah. uh, you know if someone doesn't like him. You're like, well, what, what's up? With it's because uh, I'm going to talk about someone like that where I, I feel like Michael Jackson's in that category. If someone's really? like, oh I, yeah, I really don't like Michael He's Jackson. He's definitely in like, that. Wait, you don't like Michael Jackson? Agreed. That's not that's not a thing. Agreed. <laughs> that, yeah, that's not an you option. Don't people who don't like honestly, it. I, I feel like if they say that, they're just trying to be contrary. That's, no, yeah. yeah, that's right. Where I think where I feel like bands like. Rush, U2, REM. I get that if you're like, I don't like yeah. those bands. I get that yeah. with those, Even, right? Or Pink Floyd, too. They're kind of polar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I, I, I get that. I could see it. I... Yeah, definitely. But you're right. There's the list of the good guys in rock who you literally can't dislike. Michael Jackson and Tom Petty are definitely on that list. I don't know if Michael Probably Jackson. Springsteen, too. There are some people who don't get it. I think they, I get, yeah, I get yeah. that some people don't like I it. I also think, you know, I think, too, what we talked about were – the, the the bands that I put on that list, like Rush and U2, definitely in this category, which we had that we talked about top cult bands. I think part of the issue is people get uh, uh, get 
thrown off by or, or, or turned off by bands because of their fan base. The same thing happens in sports, right? So it's not necessarily about the band. So I think somebody may like uh, they don't even know Fish's music, but they're like, ah, like Fish just bugs me because you know this fan or Rush. Same thing with yeah, Rush. that's true. Whereas Springsteen, you people could argue that sometimes those fans are a little fanatical, Todd. Yeah, so, well, yeah, I'm not saying like which is a compliment I, to the, the artist in a way. Tom Petty is a very neutral artist. I feel like. Like in that way, he's you know, yeah. like he's he's not he doesn't have a no, I, I agree, and that's why like a lot of people don't like Bob Dylan, and he's so he wouldn't fit in this category, but he's right. amazing, yeah. he's the greatest songwriter I think of all time. So, uh, okay, guys, yeah, recap top five. Yeah. I got uh, Fool in the Raid, Blind Zeppelin, Disorder, Joy Division, Mitrona, The Knack, uh, Ether by Gang of Four, and Refugee by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. All right, okay. On to my list now. Top tracks of 1979. Uh, you mentioned the impact of Ether by Gang of Four. I started with Rapper's Delight uh, by Sugar Hill Gang. Another song, obviously, not a great song. I'm not going to say that. But really? The, the, oh, you I think great? Really? You love rap? That's, see, that's what's great at party music, you know that right? Wasn't play, you know what that wasn't a loop on that song? It's a band playing for seven and a half minutes straight. Oh, really? Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the... Yeah, but obviously the impact of Rapper's Delight we know about. We don't need to discuss in, in detail here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's an important song. I It's really, Todd, you dig that? So that comes on? At oh, a, yeah. Part, I'm yeah. surprised you don't like it. I'm, oh, I'm, I, think I'm, I think I'm just over it. I think back in the day I liked I'm kind of over it, man. Hip, hip, really? Hip, oh, it's hip, such hip, a fun song, hip. man. You put that on, people. people <laughs> that's what's great know, about music. Know. You see, that's what's so great is that, like, so, the well, way. I, it's, it's, the it's irony right? is that yeah. I, I didn't put it on my list, but yeah. I. I wanted to, and I felt like I'm, you know, wrong leaving it off. So I'm glad that you had it on your list. But hey, I really do like. This and song. Harrison, what's your take? Does Rapper's Delight make it into your DJ set or not? Uh, it's seven and a half minutes yeah. long. <laughs> no, there, like, there is a there is there's a radio edit. Like it's right, it's, yeah, it's less than yeah. five. Yeah. Okay. Actually, the original that I saw was twelve minutes. Twelve minutes, or yes, yeah, edited like it that. down to, to less than five. And then yeah. when and then Redman and and Meth covered it, which uh, hip hop cover is just not that. That's just can't do it. Yeah, can't you do can't it. do that. Um, Rapper's Delight, number four, another party song, another party song, and it's just because it's a song that I I think is a great party song. I like. I, I put the Gambler by Kenny Rogers. I mean, obviously a huge <laughs> hit of the year, and there's nothing. I'm not going to say it's influential. Maybe it's because that Geico commercial is. Yeah, stuck in my head. I love that commercial. I, I, I did, it, it, it didn't come up in my searches. It would have made my list if I had known that. that oh, really? Well, yeah. that's the no. funny thing is that the gambler and uh, I don't think any of us have will have it on our list, but the devil went down to Georgia also. In oh, I didn't know devil so went down to Georgia. Those are two classic like bar yeah. staples, you know. Yeah. Uh, both yeah. great songs, but they didn't make my list. But the Gambler it's is a classic. It's funny that that's a 1979 song because that was in my music class textbook in the music class taught by Miss Shaza in elementary school. <laughs> Devil Wait, went Devil down, went down to Georgia. It was. It was along yeah. with along with a song that I can't stand anymore, and it's because of the connotation of it being attached to school. And it was the first pop song for me that was attached to school. Was the really? police message in a bottle was in that textbook what? too? Oh, yeah. interesting. And I can't. And I'm like, ugh, this song, I thought it was because it was attached to school. It's like Harrison's example of the um, of a band being attached to your parents. I had the same effect with the Beatles because of my dad's love for the Beatles. I was like, no, this no, this can't be cool, you know. And then you learn, yeah. oh, this is cool. But uh, yeah, so anyway, well, there you go. The Definitely, funny thing you know. that Scott, I'm glad you mentioned like party songs because 1979, uh, there were so many. You could make like, and I made a playlist, but 
It's basically like so many wedding and bar mitzvah yeah. songs, and like, <laughs> well, like it, songs that, that are still big, especially the disco stuff. But yeah. Like, you know, you, you look at uh, well, my Sharona maybe not quite on that level, but you look at uh, uh, Devil Went Down to Georgia, but you also look at I Will Survive, YMCA, YMCA, and uh, I Will Survive both well, come yeah. out. <laughs> we are family. We are family. <laughs> September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. All in that year. I That's mean, crazy. Yeah, those were all like, and Don't Bring Me Down, Electric Light Orchestra, and Hot Stuff Down a Summer, like huge. Yeah. Anthems. Yeah. Know, none of them are on my list, but, but like, they're worth. Oh, them. that's but that's a whole other topic. That's a is that a generational thing? Like now, a lot. Yeah, because of... y'all. Is, I mean, they were remembering the last time they had sex, which was yeah. <laughs> and they play it. At their, at their kids right. So now, wedding. right. So now at the bar mitzvahs, yeah. the parents had, grew up with Bon Jovi and Springsteen. So that's that's true. Yeah, you know, it'd English. be different yeah, now, yeah. but like you know, or even, even when we were Nirvana. going to weddings, yeah. which wasn't so long ago. You always heard a lot of disco and Motown for the parents. You right, know, right. No, that's true. That's true. Um, so I just Are you guys on the second because... wedding circuit yet? That's a fun one. Usually much more intimate. Well, that's a perfect. Bit, yeah, that's well, a perfect example. That's my second. <laughs> I would say my. So my. Here you go. Ready for this DJ segue? Well, Harrison, you mentioned the second wedding circuit. Things are probably a bit more sedated during those ceremonies. Uh, I want to uh. be. I want to be sedated at number two by the Ramones on my list, and at number one, Highway to Hell. Uh, ICDC. So there's my stone cold classic. There, yeah, it is a stone cold classic. There you go. Uh, so number five, Rapper's Delight. Number four, The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. Number three, I don't even know if I said number because th- we talked to Damn the Tor- Torpedoes, yeah. but number three was Here Comes My Girl off Damn the Torpedoes. Oh, um, okay. Here yeah. Comes my girl. And then number two is I Want to Be Sedated, and number one, Highway to Hell. Todd? Highway to Hell was on my list, but I took it off when I saw yours because there were so many good songs that needed to be talked about that, from this year. So Yeah, oh, there really are. And Understood. that was yeah. a very strong list. And I was there's so many honorable mentions. I'm glad you guys, some of the ones you put on your list were ones I was going to mention. And I mentioned some of those ultra popular songs, but like um, just, just, you know, so much. I, I, oh, wait, Todd, hold on. By Dire Straits, another one that didn't make my list, but uh, yeah. an incredible song. I'm, I'm sorry, Todd, keep going. Oh, go I, I, no, no, no. I want you to make the point. I want to. I just looked at your list and I saw a point that yeah. I, I didn't know that oh. that something was on your list. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Todd. Okay. I apologize. All right. But anyway, yeah. Sultans of Swing. I read a really good analysis in researching this about Sultans of Swing and how it had this, like, this very different sound. It didn't sound like anything else on the radio at the time. Um, and that was, I think, their breakthrough hit for Dire Straits. Um, and Mark Knopfler, he's an amazing guitar player. I've always loved his sound. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I mentioned some of those huge disco hits. And that's a funny thing. You know, Harrison got at this a little bit. But when I, you know, we, we thought about this topic originally, I was like, oh, 1979. In my head, I just thought, associated it with, like, disco and just, I thought it was probably an awful year for music. And then, you know, completely contrary to that, and once you dig into it, it's an amazing year for music. And as Harrison said, some classic albums came out, yeah. especially rock albums, and just incredible you know, material, even if you're not into the pop No, it's, it's interesting. It is this year where there's this there's a combination of good party pop songs, right? That, li- that And by good party pop songs, I mean stuff that the, all that has to mean is that it stands the test of time, right? If a song, if a pop song is getting played at a bar mitzvah or wedding 20 years after it's come out or even 10 to 15 years, that's a pretty good, that's the standard for those, right? It's not whether it's annoying or not. That's just, that's the standard for it. And then you had the pop and dance and disco stuff, and then you had legitimate rock stuff like we've talked about, and then obviously the birth of hip-hop. It's, it's pretty impressive. And, but, and that leads in nicely because Scott's number one was Highway to Hell. My number five, Highway to Hell. ACDC. I felt uh, remiss if I didn't include it because it's one of their signature songs. They're one of the greatest hard rock bands of all time. Um, 
another yeah, timeless was... song another time yeah oh yeah highway to hell is awesome like that's the kind of song if i hear it you know played somewhere you get you know i, I, I'm, I get excited for it but um but highway to... there we go everyone knows that opening riff yeah um it's incredible and it was bon scott's last hurrah actually that album um, so weirdly named, uh, I guess. Yeah. Named with how it helped. But anyway, that uh, and there's a number of great songs on that album. Um, Girls Got Rhythm is another great one. But, it's like uh, anyway. So no, but it's what, Bon Scott on Highway to Hell and Biggie's Ready to Die. It's kind of crazy that kind of that kind of rock yeah, stuff. It's, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. And what, what actually what amazed me is that uh, I, I don't know how many bands have uh, like come back so quickly from either the death or departure of their lead singer. But ACDC made Highway to Hell, or released it, at least in 1979. That's why it's on this list. But they, they released Back in Black and got Brian Johnson as a singer in 1980, which is crazy. Oh, wow. And those are two of probably their two biggest albums. Uh, so anyway, I couldn't, I was thinking about other bands and I was like, I think it took a little longer, you know, like when David Lee Roth left Van Halen. But anyways, yeah. um, so moving on to number four, uh, you guys didn't have this on your list, but again, I felt like... Uh, I don't know. I felt like it had to be on there because it's such a classic song, Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd. Um, and you could pick a few others off the wall, obviously. I mean, it was one of their uh, but, you know, see, the landmark wall albums. Such, what? But, I mean, it is such an album, though. Like, it's, it was hard for me it to is. even... Comfortably Numb I mean, was Comfortably a huge single is, when we were... a huge single. That's true. When we were growing it, up, you hear it all the time. And I, that would I be, the, I think, it. the one. But the right, it works. That's why I wanted to do, like, the top albums because the wall would definitely be on there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's more of a, it's definitely an experience with the album and the movie and everything. The movie still freaks me out. Uh, <laughs> remember, I, I guess I watched it like, I don't know, like 10, 12 years ago, 10 or 12 years ago. And I, I just, it was a little disturbing, but uh, uh, kind of in a good way, not necessarily. Anyways, so comfortably nom at number four. Uh, number three, I have The Police, Message in a Bottle, yeah, that's, Scott, Scott yeah. mentioned. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I grew up listening to the police uh, a lot. I listened to the like especially the greatest hits album they had, um, and "Message in a Bottle" to me, just an incredible song. I, I got to see Sting live a couple years ago, and he still it sounded amazing when he did it. He did it like solo acoustic, and it was awesome. Um, I think he did it with Paul Simon, which was even better because they were touring together. I can't um, see, and because of that connection with school, I can't stand that song. I just you, really, yeah, yeah. So, and but, then, but and then you, to make it you, worse, you know who cover? And then John Mayer does a cover of it. And it's like, uh, all right, yeah. it's done now. Yeah, now. It's I like, actually it's like his version. I really like, oh, I like it. Yeah. yeah, but wait. So wait. Are you? So are you? Oh, you like I remember. Police, what are your feelings about the police? No, I like the police. I like no. And then oh, I, okay. I discovered, you know, I learned about the police and Sting, and like that was fine. And they, keep in mind when we were growing up, Fields of Gold, of course, right? Uh, oh, was our but, yeah. but but no, no, but Sting. No, I liked. I no now. I love the police, but that, it's just that song because I still have memories of standing in, in in music class and learning how to sing a message in a bottle. As you can tell, I didn't oh, learn very well. When you sing it but like that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a rock song. You don't under you know you're you're in school. It's not a rock song. So to me, it's just it's an it's an annoying so, song. The Police was one of my favorite bands growing up, and like my brothers, I guess introduced me to it, and so I listen. We listened to it all the time, and I just I loved I loved them. And so anyway, so this. And that's the cool thing about the – well, part of why I wanted to put the police on here is we haven't talked about them, I feel like, that much on the right. show. Um, and same for Floyd and ACDC. But, uh, but the police really – this was, you know, before they hit their, their well, commercial peak. But, uh, you know, they, they went on to become, I guess, by – night. this was 1979, but by 1983, I think they released Synchronicity. And, uh, you know, they put out a lot of great stuff in a short period of time. And they, be, they were almost the biggest rock band in the world by 1983, 84. 
uh, and then they broke up, and then U2 pretty much took the mantle. So anyway, I thought it was important because the next five years, I feel like, at least in rock, were the police were just ascending to, you know, these huge, these great heights. Um, so moving on uh, to number two, another legendary band, The Clash, uh, with, uh, and I could pick a lot off of London Calling, as Harrison mentioned with The Wall. Uh, London Calling would probably be my favorite album of 1979. Um, I love that album. Probably my favorite Clash album. Yeah, uh, London but, Calling and uh, Rudy Can't Fail were both in the running yep, on my list. Yeah, Rudy Can't Fail. Um, but yeah, London Calling, I don't know why, the energy of that song, just when you hear that intro riff, uh, the guitar riff, and then that the bass line. I love the bass line when that kicks in. Uh, it's just an incredible song. And uh, yeah, The Clash, uh, again, I got really into The Clash later. Like the police I got into probably in the late 80s, well, early 90s, late 80s. But the, uh, the Clash I didn't really get into probably till high school. Uh, so, and they, they were kind of my intro to punk, which was probably good in hindsight. Um, <laughs> moving on to number one, we had talked about the uh, universal love of Michael Jackson. I discovered this in my research for this episode and, and surveying people that when I asked them about Michael Jackson, it was like, oh, well, he's, you know, people were like, well, obviously that's the best. What could be better than that? And so Off the Wall came out in 1979. <laughs> so and you, you interviewed picture. one person, your cousin, Michael. And no, my, yeah. my wife, my wife also. I interviewed a few people. Your wife and cousin, you know, you're, you're into, that, does, that does not constitute no, public. No, I interviewed co-workers. <laughs> what do you think I talk to people when in the kitchen at work about, you know? Everyone loves Michael Jackson. And then he Jackson. walks away and, and like, Todd's talking about his fucking podcast again. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> uh, Todd's on a Michael Jackson kick this week, guys. Watch out. Well, look, you know, Springsteen's I, next week. Did Gelfeld did Gelfeld send out that survey again, that group email? God. Yeah. yeah. I just send out email blasts about yeah. podcasts. Too. <laughs> so I know I survey a lot of people and I anyways. You know that, but anyway, so don't stop till you get enough was the one I picked. You could pick others. Uh, uh, see, I would have held off until 19, when we did the 1984 show to do, or it was 83 to do Thriller. Dude, come on. If you're going to choose a disco what? song from 1979, well, choose YMCA. I mean, come on. Much better. Uh, don't stop till you get enough. I don't think you can just say it's disco. I mean, that's the beauty of, of that album, of Off the Wall, was it took Michael Jackson. It, yeah, Off it really, the Wall. It yeah. foreshadowed what Thriller would do because I think it was the beginning of his relationship with Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones produced Off the Wall. Gotcha. And it just had this, I think, uh, a revolutionary sound um, that no one, you know, it, it took disco, some elements of disco, but it, it merged it with R&B and soul in a way that no one had done before. And the production of, I give Quincy Jones a huge amount of credit for that. Uh, but the sound he, that they he definitely off he, the wall and Todd, thriller, Todd, but, he definitely will thank you for that. I mean, oh, he, I'm sure, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> Quincy, he shows me a lot of love. But um, but anyways, so don't stop till you get enough. Uh, you know, it's a classic song, and I think we haven't really talked that much about Michael Jackson, and that's what I liked about this topic is we don't talk about we don't talk about like the late '70s. We haven't talked about it that much that era, and it's probably overlooked often because it's not. I don't think it's necessarily thought of as some golden age of music. But when you look back, it really was a you know incredible. It was. Year. It was a very very big year. But I think it, you know it was a year that matured later, right? You began to really recognize the influence. Again, saying go look at the like the Billboard Top 100 for that year. It is a totally different beast. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, lots of and that's the funny thing is we're not even talking about the stuff that uh, was huge that didn't really stand the test of time as well. Like uh, Dionne Warwick was all over the charts and Barry Manilow and like. Uh, the Bee Gees were still having a lot of hits, but it wasn't, you know, it was after Saturday Night Fever, it wasn't quite as big. So 
You still a, see a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're all fading out in the post Quaalude era. And Donna, Donna Summer was huge too. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't tell my dad that none of that stood the test of time. Come on, Dion Warwick, <laughs> Donna Summer, BGS. I mean, come uh, on, you know. Hey, it's I don't want to break Nick's heart. Yeah. I mean, oh, I'm not trying. That's Elton John. I'm not trying to break your. Heart. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's uh, right. Who's the other singer on that? Kiki. Uh, what? You guys know. What I'm oh, talking. I yeah, don't know. You that's know what I'm talking about. I'm not trying. What's the song? You know the song. Oh, whatever. Way. There was also some weird, some cheesy classic rock. I feel like it was almost the height of cheesy classic rock because you had uh, Bad Company with Rock and Roll Fantasy, Renegade by Sticks. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Well, I'm sorry. I'll ignore. I'm gonna. I'm sorry. stop. You want to start? Paul Rogers is on. You can't take yeah, that. Yeah, Paul Rogers on hollow ground here. You know that. You can't be doing all that, right, man. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. We can agree on Foreigner. Least, yeah, right? that's fine. That's double, stuff. Yeah. D- double Vision. Yeah. That also oh, that's that song sucks. Exactly. Exactly. How is that? That's a perfect. Like what Surf was talking about. Like how did that get into the rotation of the 160 classic rock songs that classic rock radio played how did that cla- foreigner double vision get in that category that, renegades that cocaine's a hell of a drug oh, you know? like, uh. <laughs> also bad case of loving you robert palmer <laughs> oh wow yeah. oh, uh, and, no 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 wait gary newman i'm not saying cars, it's bad it's bad. a different gary newman cars came out that year yeah uh, did yes, it? okay yeah and uh, and, and uh, the specials for i mentioned earlier the specials for album was another great one from that year i thought Oh. Uh, with a you, Rudy um, and Elvis Costello and the attractions had an album that year with Oliver's army on it. There's a I lot of, good... was... Oh, okay. I thought Elvis was like your, I thought it was like, he didn't release anything. Maybe he did. Let's, no, uh... And then, uh, talking heads had an album. Uh, uh, and then, uh, what was it? Uh, Life after during wartime. Life during wartime was on my list. Here, yeah, the long list. Sorry, I just wanted um, to get them all out there because there's such. No, a... there's a lot. And actually, also Rod Stewart, do you think I'm sexy? Which I didn't nice. realize it caused an uproar at the time among his his older rock fans because they thought it was I an could... embarrassment because it was dis- disco. Rod, going well, they disco. were well, they were right. I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right, let's get All our. Right, I'm glad we covered a lot. Of yeah, this. yeah. Let's get our final list going. Uh, I'm assuming Highway to Hell gets uh, gets placement on the final yeah, list. That might be number one there. Uh, eight, yeah, eight. And now we're gonna have to argue over a damn torpedoes track. Let's let's reserve that slot for two, and let's come back to it. I think, and then so uh, and then let's go around and see what other what else uh, what other people want. I think. I think don't stop till you get enough. I'm putting that up on the big board from Todd's list. Right, I, yeah, I like that. Fine. one. No, yeah. I, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Harrison, Harrison, what do you think? Yeah, I put, uh, we'll put London Calling up there. All right. All right. All right. Todd? Um, I will put, uh, I guess we already got Tom Petty on there, right? So, yeah, I would say whew, Fool in the Rain probably or Rapper's Delight. Oh, I go, I mean, obviously I support Rapper's Delight because of the historical implications. Right, I support Fool in the yeah. Rain because I put it on my list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Todd, pick one of them. All right, pick one. Uh, I guess I gotta go rappers delay. All right, hey, uh, yeah, because right. of the the history there. All right, so we You're we've got a, we've got a list no, of for Led Zeppelin that was like their swan song almost. We have a list of five. Yeah. We get, we have Highway to Hell. We have a A Damn the Torpedoes track to be named later. Uh, Don't stop till you get enough. London Calling, Rappers Delight, uh, Highway to Hell. Is is that good for number one since it's on multiple oh, yeah. lists? Yeah, yeah, okay. And then sure. does does that order that I just mentioned for three, four, five? Don't stop till you get enough. London Calling and Rappers Delight. Does that does that, that, that work? Works. Okay. That works good. All right. This is the tough part. A Damn the Torpedoes track. Uh, my nomination was Here Comes My Girl. I think we all had different tracks. Uh, I, went really yeah, I had even the losers. Yeah, but Oof. that wasn't on my list. All right. 
right. Should we just Refugee. should we just leave it at that, or do we have to to pick one of them? It, what, it's what, okay. That's a, I can't. I can't pick. Those are all great songs. I can't say well, that. When I just we get Jimmy Iovine on the show, we'll have to ask him his favorite. The Dan and the Torpedoes. Yeah, yeah. he produced it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dan and Torpedoes pick em slot. That's what it is. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a pick'em. All right, cool. So the the definitive list of our favorite songs from 1979, the year of our birth. Uh, Number five, Rapper's Delight. Number four, London Calling. Number three, Don't Stop to Get Enough by Michael Jackson. Number two, A Damn the Torpedoes track. You pick which one. And at number one, Highway to Hell. I like it, guys. So uh, this was a a great show. It was great to talk to Surf and Jay earlier. What have you guys uh, been listening to? I know, Todd, you want to talk about the new Adele, your take on it. I did. I mean, this is the the, the you know biggest news probably of the last couple weeks. <laughs> it was, it was ridiculous. Music. It was like, <laughs> it was literally news. It wasn't music. Oh, it news. was. Like, it oh, was, yeah. It was yeah, yeah. news. You could watch news and like the news. You, you think she'd given birth released. on uh, YouTube. Yeah. The way you <laughs> to it. Jeez. It was huge. It was huge. It was and weird. I, I, yeah. I actually like it. I like the song. I think it's, it's, it's good. And you know, it's funny. Initially, I was like, this guy was saying he wasn't a big fan of yeah. it. And I was, I listened and I was like, you know, it's slow and everything. But then it got in my head and I started like having it in my head at work all day. And I was like, all right, this is a good. Earworm. Because you heard it a thousand times everywhere you I went. Think, I, you know, I don't know if I heard it that much. I, I listened to it a couple of times. I've successfully avoided it. I haven't heard it yet. Nice job. In my bubble. Oh, I live in my bubble. Yeah, you it's live right. You live in. Proud of that we all live in our, our own media, media, our media, media bubble. bubble. Yeah, yeah. 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 You, you had Adele on your top like uh, top female singer songwriters. I know, but I was just I, w- I wanted to wait this one out, so I'm, I'll, I'll listen <laughs> to it today. You should wait. It's uh, I found it to be boring. It's a boring. But but here's the deal. So my take is this. She could have come out with literally anything and they would have blasted it everywhere. Like she could have just come out with like five minutes of noise and it would Don't have tell that to a woman between twenty five and forty five. Right, that's Boy. true. Number two <laughs> number two, she could sing anything and make it sound amazing. So I was even gonna say her foreigners voice is so I, incredible. she could cover foreigners double vision and maybe it would be okay. <laughs> and number three I'd love to hear that cover. My my take on the song is it's boring. It was really boring. It reminded me of a Whitney. It's like a Whitney Houston track. It was like very. I mean, I like the. I like the more soulful. Uh, the horns. Uh, you know that kind of stuff. And and this was more of a. This was. Don't do you, you like agree? the more up tempo stuff? Yeah. Like don't the, you agree? Rolling but, in the deep. But not necessarily because I do love her cover. Make you feel my love. Like I there are stuff there's stuff I like. But yeah, rolling in the deep and. Yeah, I just wanted something more upbeat for the first single. Did you like someone like you? Did you like that one? Because this is kind no, of like, no. Uh, yeah, thought, yeah, you're right. No, no I'm oh. not. Yeah, that song. Okay. No, not really. But not. you like rumor has it. That's more yeah, tempo. yeah, okay. yeah. I like the up tempo. I mean, I like the when Adele came out, and we've talked about like I think that time period was so important because of the influence of Amy Winehouse and Mark Ronson's producing at that point. The connection to Foreigner. There you go. His dad oh, yeah, in Foreigner. Right. Uh, and Amy. So so you know Amy Winehouse and Mark Ronson and, and what they put together, and then that leading to Duffy and Adele, um, and uh, Duffy, even nice all the way pull. up to like Janelle Monae. And like I mean, there's a huge Sharon Jones, and, and I know I think we've talked about this before. So I, I that. That this Adele song sounded nothing like that time period. Do you agree with that, Todd? At least. Uh, yeah, I'd yeah. say it's you're yeah. right. It's different, but right. I think that we talk about evolution. Like, I, and yeah. look, it's just one song. We haven't heard the album, but yeah. Uh, you know, I I like it. I, I don't see anything wrong with you know doing something a little different. What I do think is funny is she never has to think of an album title apparently for the rest right. of because she can just use her age. <laughs> oh, so the new horrible. album is 25. The yeah. last one was 21. Yeah. 19, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go ahead, Harrison. No, that's fine. I was to say I'm listening to uh, I, I and I've listened to it twice, so that's how you know it's good. 
um, is uh, Church's new album, Every Open Eye. It, and it's a good follow-up to The Bones of What You Believe. And I would say it's an excellent album as long as Lauren Mayberry is the one singing and not the dude. Yeah, I was uh, surprised they had him sing. That was, yeah, that was it was like, yeah, it's a little discordant, and he's not a very good singer. Um, yeah, I heard the song, and I was like, this would sound so much better if she were singing it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's and Lauren Mayberry is so good, and she's got such a great voice. It's like, it's a waste a waste of a song on it, on it. But other than that, other than that, the album is great. Listen to it. It's fantastic. I agree. No, I love that album. Cool. Ray raved about them. From I'm looking forward to listening to Pucifer's third album, Money Shot, later today, which came out yesterday. Um, and there's a new Drive-By Truckers album out, too. So. Oh, really? Yeah. New Truckers? I didn't know that. Yep. Cool. Came out yesterday. Good yeah. Well, good show, guys. We'll talk to everybody next time. Playing us out against the 70s by Mike Watt. The pages I found look like an old man.